Thanks for joining us on Fresh Faith. We're excited to bring you a special season of the podcast. Ron and former Pittsburgh Steeler Tunch Ogan have worked alongside one another for years. You may remember Tunch on some previous episodes of the podcast. A while back, they teamed up to do a special series on the Journey Radio called Biblical Manhood. This series has been one of the most well-received series, and so we knew we just had to bring it to you on the podcast. Thanks for joining us on Fresh Faith. We're in a series called Biblical Manhood, previously recorded by Ron Moore and Tudge Ilkin. It's been one of our most well-received series, and we knew we had to bring it to you on the podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about what does it mean to be a whole man, a man complete in himself and with God. On today's podcast, Ron and Tunch begin a nine-point examination of that question. And the preeminent question is, how do you measure up? We're involved in a special series focusing on the issues that men face every day, real issues for real men. And joining me for this series is Tunch Oaken, a 14-year veteran of the National Football League, 13, with the Pittsburgh Steelers, a year with the Green Bay Packers, and now Tunch is the pastor of men's ministry at the Bible Chapel in Pittsburgh and a sought-after speaker for men's issues. Tunch, we've talked to a lot of men in this series, but we also believe it's important for the women, there are a lot of women listeners, to listen to this material about men because women need to be a student of their husbands just as we're challenging husbands to be students of their wives. Yeah, I think that's a very insightful comment by you, Ron. No, and I, I didn't mean to start laughing. Oh, like when I was looking over this material, I was going, man, this stuff is good. Who wrote it? Now, you know, it isn't an insightful comment because I think usually it's the guy that gets hit with the tag that we don't really understand our wives. But I think that the more women are aware of what's being written to men in men's ministry books, the more insight they gain into why guys are the way we are. I mean, obviously, we're wired much differently than our wives are, and that's the way God intended it. And so it's great when they listen to hear what's going on in the minds and the hearts of men. As husbands and wives, we've got to be students of each other. And so I just think it's so important for the women listening to listen to this material and talk about it with your husbands or your fiancés, your future husbands, and see what your husband has to say about it. At least use it for a conversation opener. I think the other reason it's good is I think it'll help women understand their teenage boys. Boys are different. And I think sometimes if you've got the quintessential strong-willed boy, there's this thought, well, what's wrong with him? Because boys are different. And when boys get to those teen years, their hormones are raging just like teenage girls, but in a different way. And that growth process manifests itself in different ways. So I think not only does it help you understand your husband, but it'll really help you understand if you have teenage boys in the home. You know, I think it's a great point. This past week, I was talking about the fear of inadequacy. And I do believe a lot of moms feel inadequate for the job, a huge job. You know, the old quote, men hang heavy weights on thin wires. And as parents, we feel like a thin wire sometime with a heavy weight. And I challenged moms to be careful what they allow their girls to wear. Because if they knew what the middle school boy or the high school boy was thinking about when their daughters walked by in those stylish clothes, they'd be turning 50 shades of red. Right. In our house, we used to have a thing called the daddy test. And a lot of times, 
when Sharon and Natalie would be out shopping and Natalie would say, what about this? And she would look at Natalie and say, you think that's going to pass the daddy test? <laughs> you know, that is good, though. That is, that's insightful, and yeah. I'm not going to laugh yeah, when yeah, I say plus, you said something free, insightful. <laughs> <laughs> but it is important for women to understand what their teenage boys are thinking and right. going through, and it's important that they teach their daughters the same thing. We've been talking about a man and his God. We've been talking about a man and his identity, a man and his marriage, a man and his family. Today we want to talk about a man and his integrity. Yes. The word integrity is from the Hebrew word tom, and it means completeness. It means wholeness. It's the state of being undivided. It's backing up your words with your life. So let's talk about what that life looks like and drill down on some real-life things regarding integrity. So, Tunch, we've got about nine things that we want to go over here. Let me throw the first one out, and then we'll talk about it. A man of integrity, again, integrity is completeness. It's wholeness. It's not a person divided up into parts. So a man of integrity is the same man wherever he is. It's interesting, as you look at Scripture, Jesus loved and forgave the hated tax collectors, even invited them as one of the disciples, Matthew. He engaged in conversation and forgave prostitutes. But when it came to the religious leaders, right. he had no patience with them. And so why was he so hard on the religious leaders? Well, I think, number one, that if we're more worried about the outward, the show of religiosity. Religiosity, is that a word? Religiosity? Word, is that yeah. a good word? You know, I, I, I kind of grabbed it out of the air, so I wasn't really quite sure. But if we're more concerned about the outward appearance, and that's where Jesus went after them. You know, he called them whitewashed tombs. He called them blind guides. He called them a brood of vipers, and he talked about the fact that they would be obsessing over the letter of the law mm -hmm. and the outward appearance, and yet their hearts were dead. And I think that it's a great word for us because we need to understand that the outward is not the issue. It is the heart. And so what is it that my heart desires, and is my heart the same always? And when I don't have my heart where it needs to be with God, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, it's going to come out sooner or later. You know, the religious leaders, as you said, Jesus called them a whitewashed tomb. You're beautiful on the outside. You got the robes and you got all the religiosity. Right. How come you don't wear robes when you preach? You know, I'm thinking about you know. it because it would save on some <laughs> my clothing. That's yes, why you wouldn't have to worry about ties. <laughs> I wouldn't talk to the elders. Yes, about I think that, you should actually. go with yeah. robes, yeah, and, and, and a nice little hat. And, and maybe a collar. Yeah, maybe, a, maybe collar. a collar. So, um, and they had all this whitewashed tombs, but on the inside, dead man's bones. And so a person can look good in one group and look terrible in the other. There's something that always haunted me. Some of the youth guys used to tell me, so many kids say, we come to church and our parents, man, they're singing the songs and they're an esteemed person in the church. But at home, they're a different person. And that's a lack of integrity. Look, obviously, we're not perfect. We've blown it. Some of the times I've blown it most was getting my kids ready for church because, you know, there's that tension. Are we on time? And not everybody's ready. And let's go, let's go, let's go. And I've gotten people in the car and go, come on, we're going to go worship right now. And I've had to apologize to my family just saying, look, I'm sorry. If you guys aren't ready to worship, it's my fault. And so when I would catch myself not walking the talk, not really living it, I'd have to go to my children and to my wife and say, look, I'm sorry, forgive me. I, that's not integrity. That's talking out of both sides of my mouth. You know, Tunch, I hope those listening know this, but I want to make sure. When we put forth this material, we're basing it on what God's Word right. says. 
we're not basing it on our perfect right. application of it. If I could only preach what I'd perfected, I would never preach. That's right. I could never teach. This is what God's Word says. So we're holding this as the standard. We're all striving for that. James says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Integrity is completeness. It's wholeness. It encompasses all of life. We have to have things right with God, right right with our wife, right with our children, right at work, right at church. And the challenge so many times is we say things to our wife or family that we would never say to a perfect stranger. Our guard is up with others. Our guard is down at home. We really have to be careful. But again, here's the standard. A man of integrity is the same man wherever he is. Yeah, and you're right. We are really called to model it at home. And if I don't model it at home, then I have no credibility with my children. If I am to be the spiritual leader of my family and be effective as that spiritual leader, not perfect, but if I'm not modeling it, then I have no credibility with my children. The flip side of that too, Ron, is when we're at work, I do a football talk show for two hours every day, Monday through Friday during the football season. And a lot of times, because of a call or the Tebow phenomenon, which always brings questions in from callers about Tebow and the sincerity. And I remember one time, because we had a bunch of calls about Tebow, and we started talking about celebrating the gift giver as opposed to celebrating the gift. And so obviously that opened an opportunity to share Christ on sports radio. And I remember a guy said something to me, you shouldn't be preaching on the air. And I said, well, the conversation went to that. I wasn't preaching. He said, well, still, you shouldn't have shared your opinion. I said, but wait a second. I'm the same guy, whether I'm on the air or I'm at church or I'm in the neighborhood, it's still me. And so when you listen to our show, you're going to hear a worldview because it's who we are. We're not going to back off of our faith because it may be offensive to some, and we're not going to beat you over the head with a Bible, but we were talking about Tim Tebow. Someone mentioned a question about what was he really hoping to accomplish or what was he doing. That was an opportunity for us to share. So then this integrity thing becomes, okay, do I really love Jesus in the media, or is it just at home? Is it just at Sunday? Well, it's not. It's an all-the-time thing. I had a seminary professor who used to say, the man is the message, and that has just stuck with me. Who you are what you say, when no one else is looking, that's the message. And so integrity is, you're the same person wherever you are. There's a completeness, a wholeness there. Here's another one. Integrity starts with honesty before God. That's a challenge. We're not honest before God. So what are some ways, Tunch, as you talk to men, that you say, okay, you're going to be honest before God. That's just a statement. Mm -hmm. How do you do that? How do you apply that? That is a great question. And one of the things that as men that we don't do well is we do not do that introspective spiritual self-evaluation because my flesh and my tendency is to want to say, hey, I'm doing pretty good. I'm in that Bible study. I'm going to church on Sunday. I get Ron's blog every day. And so there's this desire because we're men, we're competitive to kind of compare ourselves to other. You know, how am I doing compared to that guy? But I think that when we do this spiritual self-evaluation, the problem with it is it's hard. My flesh does not want to be deep. I want to be about as deep as a puddle. But the Word of God makes me really look deep into my own heart, and there is a depth that God seeks with us. I mean, he doesn't want us to be superficial people. He wants deep, deep calls to deep. And so to look inside, 
the standard is the word of God. And how am I doing compared to that standard? You always get something out of God's word because it's like a spiritual cleansing. There's going to be something there that tells you who God is, who you are, where you're falling short, where you're doing all right. You're encouraged there. And so we've got to have the standard, as you say. I can't compare myself to another person saying, I'm not quite where he is. I'm a little better than him. I've got to look at God's word. That has to be the standard. And it's kind of like Ned in the first grade reader, isn't it? Yeah. If you don't read God's word, you don't know what the standard no, is. No, right. And, and the other thing is, here's reality. If I'm doing like a three-minute Devo, this is my three minutes with God a day, well, no kidding, I'm not going to understand God's word. That's not the way it's meant to be read. It's meant to devour. How many times throughout the scriptures do we see that the word of God is like food? We're to eat it up. We're to consume it. It is like a sweet delight. I had a buddy who was a doctor, and he told me he just didn't understand the Word of God. I go, wait a second, you're a doctor. Are you telling me you understood medical texts and you don't understand the Word of God? And I think that we've got to be serious with ourselves in that if I don't understand the Word of God, how hard am I really trying? It is something that makes me want to search deeper into it, and then the enlightenment comes to me. You know, God doesn't say, seek me, and you may or may not find me. He says, seek me, and you'll find me, and that's how we do it. There's a great passage, Psalm 1, that I believe speaks to this issue of integrity. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or set in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, the Scripture, and who meditates on his law day and night. That word meditate is a word that pictures a lion growling over his prey. He takes his time chewing it, thinking over it, enjoying God's word. So you're right. A three-minute devo ain't going to do it. Ain't going to get it. Going to make you a puddle, shallow Christian. And I think the challenge for guys is everybody's different, but my quiet time with the Lord and my studying the scriptures is early in the morning. The first thing I want to do is I'll get my cup of coffee and I want to study the word. And for whatever reason, that's when I'm most alert, most sharp, most open to what God might have for me through his word. But the problem is, if I'm waiting to read the paper next, if I'm waiting to go online, if all those things are competing with my mind and my heart and my soul over the word of God, then I'm not really focusing on what God has for me because I'm already thinking about when I'm going to read the paper next. And the other challenge, too, for those listening who are teachers, Mm -hmm. to study God's word to teach to other people. So even my devotions, oh, man, that'd be a great point to make instead of seeing what God wants to say to me. And so uh, you're right, you got to slow down enough and meditate on God's word enough. So it's not a checklist. This isn't something I just did. A lack of integrity is using reading of scripture as a rabbit's foot. I read scripture today, I had a great day. Oh, I missed scripture today. Day wasn't so good. Right. It's not a rabbit's foot. No, I've had great days of studying the word and praying and had a terrible day. But you met with God today. Right, day. but I met with God. And he spoke with you. And something you read on Tuesday, he may not bring back to your mind until next week or a month later, but it's there in your heart and it's in your head. And he's going to use his word. Right. His word goes out. It never comes back never void. Comes. So a man of integrity This wholeness and completeness is the same man wherever he is. He's honest before God. He's also honest with himself. And I thought about that. There are a lot of people who are not honest with themselves. I can be moving to the next thing, and I don't take time to really think about it. So I'm talking to myself here. I need to be more reflective and times away with God where I'm not hurried to go do something, but I just need to spend some time with God. And for me, since I'm not very reflective, a lot of times God will speak to me on this issue of honesty with myself through criticism. 
because when someone criticizes me, it may hurt and I may react, but there is always a bit of truth in there right. that I need to deal with. Right. I think we all do. I'm a lot like that too. It seems that I'm always moving and the Lord will keep reminding me to be still. So I'm one of those guys that if you say, hey man, you really got to get in the word. Well, okay, I'm for that. That's very proactive. I'm going to get in the word. I'm going to study, take notes. Okay, I got it. But then the Lord says, you need to be still. Ooh, now you're talking about a discipline that I am not good at. And to be still and to wait on God and to not act is a very, very, very difficult thing for me. And it totally grates against the way I'm wired. And when I went to Turkey, as you know, a few years ago, I went to coach football and we have missionary friends over there and I was hanging out with them. And it was kind of interesting that I was going to go off and be with myself at a retreat center before we went out there. And I never got around to doing it. But then when I got to Turkey, I was in a position where I was alone a lot and God really forced me just to really, really be still. And I found my soul was like churning because it was a very uncomfortable place for me to be and forced me to just sit there and wait. And on that trip, nothing happened the way I had imagined it. I mean, I thought I was going to get to share Jesus with a bunch of guys and guys were going to be so open to the message because I'm Turkish, they're Turkish, and they're going to say, oh, he's one of us. And when it didn't work that way, I was going, Lord, that happened a lot different in my imagination. But I mean, the Lord was just teaching me to wait and to wait on his timing and not my own. Psalm 15 says, a man who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. We have to be honest with ourselves and speak truth in our heart. We can rationalize just about anything. But again, that goes back to God's word. Because when I see it right there in front of me, I can't rationalize it. I can't twist it to make it seem like I'm doing it because it's telling me I'm not doing it. Right. Or I need to be doing it. There's a great Psalm, Psalm 139 that ends by saying, Search me, O God, and know or make known my heart. Test me and know or make known my anxious thoughts and see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And I think that's a great prayer to say, God, I want to be honest with myself. Show me what my heart looks like. Where I really deal with that, Ron, is in the issue of pride. And it's the pride that wells up inside me. Now, I may not let it come to the surface because I know it's inappropriate. So I won't want you to see my pride. Not kind of go, aren't I a humble guy, Rod? But it's like this battle with me. I mean, it's probably one of the hardest temptations that I deal with. And sometimes I feel like it's with that little thing bops up and you hit it with a hammer and it goes down and another mold pops up. That's kind of the way I deal with pride. It'll start welling up inside me and I'll be conscious of it and I'll say, Lord, get that thought out of my head. But it's constantly there and that's where, see if there be any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I can't remember if it was Moody or Ironside, but one of the stalwarts of the Christian faith were really struggling with pride. Mm -hmm. And so they thought, you know, what could be more humbling than to put on an old sandwich board and advertise a revival meeting? Mm -hmm. And so they put on this sandwich board and they said, I was so proud that I humbled myself. <laughs> So I can turn on this pretty quickly. Oh, shucks, aren't I humble? <laughs> so man of integrity. Integrity is wholeness, completeness. Same man wherever he is. Honest before God. Honest with himself. And it's obvious, but we got to say it. He's honest with others. He doesn't lie. Yeah, yeah. You tend to stretch the truth in the culture I grew up with. And a lot of times growing up, I would lie to avoid pain. I would lie to make myself look better or the situation look better, the situation look worse or whatever. 
And when I first became a believer and shared my testimony in one of our first shows together, I mean, I was heavy into drugs, heavy into alcohol. I was just this really self-destructive person. But leaving those things behind were not nearly as hard as leaving lies behind and starting to speak the truth. And, you know, when you tell a lie long enough, you believe it to be truth. And so I would tell these stories from my past that were really, really stretching it or lies. And I would catch myself and I'd say, wait a second, that didn't really happen. I made that up. You know, I really wasn't there. I was at Woodstock. If I wasn't there, there would only have been 499,999 people. Oh, no, I wasn't really there. And so when I gave my life to Christ, I remembered the discipline it took to tell it gospel. And the really interesting transformation in that is I went from a guy who could lie very easily and well to someone who loathes lying and who can't lie now without looking guilty as all get out. And so it was just kind of weird the way God took that past away from me and replaced it with a real disdain for lies and an inability to lie, which was crazy. Yeah, that's cool. I read this story a long time ago. It was Sports Illustrated about Bill Clinton. I wanted to read this. The story was called The Rights of Bill, written by a guy who played golf with presidents. He said, Clinton plays golf with a passion, a joy, and a flair for rule bending that can only be described as Clintonian. Here's what he says. Clinton hits a drive into the trees and takes a second practice tee shot. He hits this one short. He hits another tee shot. This one goes long and far. He drives the cart over to the trees and takes a drop, but hits the ball short. He then plays three more practice shots from the fringe and ends up playing the second of his practice shots. He's on the green in four, but picks up without putting. On his scorecard, he takes a four on the hole, a no putt four. It's not until the end of the round, he says, that I sense what Clinton has done. He cards an 82 for the 18 holes, 41 on the front, 41 on the back. His scorecard shows eight pars and one birdie. He played extremely well on some holes, 300-yard drives and very nice touch shots around the green. But it does not feel like he shot an 82, perhaps because he took so many swings. Clinton easily took 200 swings during our six-hour round. When the writer noted the past criticism about Clinton's use of mulligans, the former president responded, I just play by the rules. Shaking his head, he said, it's weird. I don't understand the criticism. And then the writer said this, I just play by the rules. Rule 7-2 of the U.S. Golf Association's Rules of Golf says a player shall not play a practice stroke during the play of a hole. The penalty for breaking Rule 7-2 is two strokes in stroke play and loss of a hole in match play. Clinton breaks it almost every time. Has he deluded himself? Is he convinced that he never shaves a stroke off his game? Have playing with partners been so generous for so long that when he insists his third tee shot is actually his first, he believes them? Didn't he fail to break 90 last July in the World Celebrity of Golf Championship in Stockholm where he had eight three putts? Doesn't he always fail to break 90 at tournaments where the official forbids mulligans, not to mention billigans? So So you can lie your way through life. And sometimes guys are in situations, Mm -hmm. in positions of leadership, where others cover for them. They're hitting the third tee shot, and someone actually says, because it's advantageous for them to say it, no, that's your first tee shot. Mm -hmm. And so we can 
dig ourselves into a hole of not being honest with ourselves and not being honest with others. You know, when I was the Steelers player rep in 1987, we went through a strike, and the player rep's job is he's the liaison between the union leadership and the players, and we were on strike. And I'll never forget that I wanted to make sure that I told the truth to the guys about what was coming down from union leadership, and I wanted to make sure that I was truthful with the union leadership about how our guys felt, and there is this temptation to tell the union leadership, the executive committee, that things are more together or better on my team than they were, or to tell the rank and file that the strike was gonna end and it was gonna be okay. And during that time, the temptation was so great, I said, no, I'm gonna tell it gospel. I'm going to say, this is where we're at. It's not great because we got hammered in that strike. But I just wanted to make sure that nobody would come up to me after and say, hey, Tunch, you said this was going to happen and it never happened. Or we thought that this was going to happen. And telling everything verbatim was a real challenge, I remember, because there is this pride issue that wants to hold your guys together or that wants to say it is better than it actually is. Mm -hmm. A man of integrity tells the truth even when it hurts. Honest with himself, honest with others. Here's one, a man of integrity. Again, wholeness, completeness, same person wherever he is. A man of integrity lives with a personal set of biblical values. I just think that is so important. Proverbs 11 says the integrity of the upright will guide him. A man of integrity has an unwavering set of principles that don't come from the world, but come right from Scripture. And a guy of integrity, he's going to put those principles into play Mm -hmm. even when it hurts. I think of sales guys. I mean, you know, it's a tough economy out there. And there are guys who, if they could promise this product in by a certain time, they might get the deal. Mm -hmm. But they know the process. It can't be delivered in that time frame. Those are the guys out there doing their best to make a living in a tough economy, competing against people who are not. Mm-hmm. truthful in everything they say. I think that's one of the biggest challenges for men today is that if your competitor is cheating, if your competitor is doing things unethical, and then you're in this situation where you're doing everything God's way, and there's this like, oh my gosh, that's not fair. And I always think of the 73rd Psalm, you know, when Asaph says, I would look at the ungodly and they would mock God. And they said, does the Almighty have knowledge? Does he know? And he's talking about the arrogant and the dishonest. And then he says, now paraphrasing, so go ahead and slap me down, Pastor. But he said, I was like a brute beast until I entered your sanctuary. And you showed me that their feet were on slippery ground. So there's this, oh, look at that guy. He's doing it this way and he's getting over and, God, that's not fair. And then the Lord says, well, wait a second. You keep my commands and keep my ways and I'll figure out how this turns out for him and for you. And so it's a real challenge. But if I know that this is the standard and I know that God is sovereign and that here is this biblical set of rules that I live by, there's also freedom in that. I'm doing it God's way. If it doesn't work, this is out of my hands. But talking to men, I know that that's a real challenge. Huge pressures out there. Proverbs 28, 6 says this, Better is the poor who walks in his integrity Mm -hmm. than he who is crooked, though he be rich. Mm -hmm. And like the 78th Psalm, the person who is not walking in integrity, he is standing on a slippery slope. 
And yet it's tempting, isn't it? You have a story about gambling where you could have made some good money. Oh, uh, so a few years back, there was a big debate here in Pittsburgh. We have a casino now. And the casino was going to come, and it was going to be part of funding the Penguin Stadium, and a lot of people were very, very for it. And so on our sports talk show, we were very openly against it. Wherever legalized gambling was, bankruptcies went out, gambling addictions were up, homelessness, all these things that happened as a result of legalized gambling coming to a community. So I was very, very outspoken about it. And it went through. We have a casino here, and a lot of people go there. And my maids say, well, I'm never going to go there. Well, God has a sense of humor, I believe. And a guy that I know is running the casino. And he calls me up, and he says, hey, Tunch, he said, you want to make some easy money and come down to the casino and sign autographs? I go, no, thanks, brother. Thanks for the invite. But there's part of me that's going, you dummy. But yeah, and he called me a couple, three times because yeah. obviously former athletes are looking for guys to bring people to the casino, come in and sign autographs. And good conscience, there's no way I could do that. But there's this other part of my brain that goes, hey, Tunch, you can make some money e there. Easy money. Easy money, easy money. <laughs> sign autographs. You know, yeah. had you been down there, Someone, Someone would have said, who'd you used to said, be? Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, who'd you used to be? <laughs> who'd you used to be? <laughs> Why are you here? And I heard you say on the radio uh -huh. that you were against this. That's right. You're right. That definitely would be an integrity issue. What kind of guy would I be if I just said, well, that was only when I wasn't going to benefit from it. And yeah. believe me, there's part of your brain that that temptation is real. But I always go back to the 15th Psalm. That was a very impactful Psalm. A man of integrity sticks to his word, even when it hurts. Yeah. So integrity is wholeness, it's completeness. A man of integrity is the same wherever he is, at home, at work, recreational, whatever he's doing. Integrity starts with honesty before God. A man of integrity is honest with himself. A man of integrity is honest with others. A man of integrity lives with a biblical set of principles. Here's one. A man of integrity deals with secret sins. There's such a temptation in every one of us to think if no one else knows what our sin is or we're getting by with it, it's not hurting anyone else, it's okay. Mm -hmm. And yet, besides being disobedient, right. besides lying to ourselves there, secret sins are going to produce character cracks that are going to show up sooner or later. We forget that God sees. We think that if nobody else sees, where's the harm? Because we can rationalize, well, you know what? This is not damaging my testimony. This is not hurting my family. This is not hurting my friends. But I think when we realize that it is against God and God alone, I know you're going to use the 51st Psalm later on in some of our discussion, but when David says that against you and you alone have I sinned, and that's after he slept with Bathsheba and killed Uriah. The first time I heard that, I go, well, well wait a second, against you and you alone? What about Bathsheba? What about Uriah? But it's interesting that God points out that really foremost I have sinned against God. And we tend to want to overlook that or think that we can somehow skate around that. And even as I read this, uh, secret sin is a little bit of a misnomer because God sees it all. He'll shed light on it, and we're going to stand before him, right. and he's the final judge. Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says this, Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh, the secret sin to please the flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And then a passage that I go back to often, 1 Timothy 5, 24, 
the sins of some are obvious. Right. Oh, yeah. Reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. So, you know, right. the sins are so obvious, it gets there before they do. Right. The sins of others trail behind them. But the point is, your sins are going to get there before you do it. They're going to catch up with you. But there is no secret sin. A crack in your character is going to be devastating to your walk with Christ. Yeah, surely your sin will find you out. And you can't live in sin, even if it's a secret sin. Once again, it's a misnomer. Because you can't fool God. And I think to your point, that's where the crack and the flaw start to show up because it becomes this thing that I'm holding on to that's going to affect my life. So a man of integrity has this wholeness about him. He's the same person wherever he is. He's honest before God. He's honest before others. He's honest to himself. He deals with secret sins. Number seven, a man of integrity is accountable to men of integrity. Now, Touch, I want to talk about this a little bit. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about this before. I'm all for accountability and accountability groups. Sometimes, if that group does not have men of integrity, instead of becoming an accountability group, it can become an enabling group. Right. We need to be challenged. Look, if my head is in the possibility of an adulterous affair, I don't go to the guy that has already divorced and on to a second wife and go, hey, what do you think? I go to the man who is solid with his wife, who understands that marriage isn't easy, so you're going to slug through it. You're going to work on your marriage. You're going to be a student of your wife. You are going to live in the integrity of your marriage. And that's the guy that I share with. If pornography is the issue, then the guys in my group got to say, did you get rid of your porn? A classic example, we got rid of all our premium channels. And then when we got our first HDTV, we had to change the cable. What I didn't know was that I just got the premium channels because I went to high definition. And I'll never forget, I'm in the bed, I'm sharing in the bathroom, getting ready for bed, and I'm flipping through the channels. And all of a sudden, there it is, frontal nudity. And I had not looked at any porn in years. And I was thinking I was doing great. And so I hit that channel and I said, change the channel. And my thumb did not obey. I think I sprained my thumb that day. But anyways, Sharon's in the next room, could walk right in at any moment. Obviously, I finally changed the channel. But I was shocked at how mesmerized I was. And I thought I was doing good. And so the next day we had our huddle and I confessed it. And the first thing, one of my guys, Bobby says, so you're going to call the cable company today and tell them to take off the premium channel. I said, well, you know, HBO's got boxing and football. And that was tongue in cheek, but I did because I knew that I was going to get a call that night from one of my guys. Did you get rid of that cable? And so I went home and I did just that. So it just shows you how sin can grab you and how if you don't have accountability, I mean, if I didn't have an accountability group, I wouldn't have shared that with anybody and then I might not have gotten rid of the premium channels. Sexual temptation can overtake us quickly. And again, a man of integrity has others around him who are going to call him on that. Galatians 6 says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore him gently, but watch yourself or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. I always think about that passage because we all could fall in that area. Right. And we got to be careful. Paul says, be careful so that you're not tempted. Because when you get involved in that stuff, you start thinking of stuff. But he who is spiritual, when right now God has you walking with him, you need to be that person who confronts an individual in sin. So the man of accountability is smart enough and desires this completeness enough 
that he has men of integrity around him. Not just people who will enable him, but people who will say, call them and get that service off the TV. And when you travel, call me and let me know that you've disconnected the movies in the room. Right. We always used to say that there's nothing you can't ask me. There's nothing off limits. And here's the reality of this. I want that accountability. I want to know that I've got to face my brothers. I want that protection. I know that if I have to answer to these guys, that that is going to hold a standard. Look, I, I wish that it was just enough for me. I wish I was mature enough spiritually that it was just the accountability of God. But I also know that God has put godly men in my life to hold me accountable and for me to hold others accountable. So it's part of this. I mean, that's why we lock arms. We lock arms to sharpen one another. And I don't want milk toast Christian friends. I want iron sharpeners in my life that are going to ask me the tough questions. Am I loving my wife as Christ loved the church? Am I leading my family? Am I teaching my children? Am I walking in my integrity in the business place? What am I watching? Have I gotten rid of the premium channels? Where am I spending my free time? Those are all questions that I want to have to answer because I need to be encouraged and challenged. Here's some accountability questions that accountability groups can right. ask each other. Have you been with a woman this week in such a way that was inappropriate or could have looked to others that you were using poor judgment? Have you been completely above reproach in all your financial dealings this week? Have you exposed yourself to any explicit material this week? Have you spent time in prayer and in the scriptures this week? Have you fulfilled the mandate of your calling this week? Have you taken time off to be with your family this week? And then the last one is, have you lied to me? I love that. Have you just lied to <laughs> have me? Have you just lied to me in any of these? No. So a man of integrity is going to be surrounded with other men of integrity to hold him accountable. Number eight, a man of integrity lives with confidence. And this is such a beautiful, positive part of Scripture. Proverbs 10.9 says, he who walks in integrity walks securely. Doesn't have to hide anything. Right. A double life, it's an exhausting and oh. fearful life, isn't it? Yeah, I used to tell my kids that if you're going to lie, you better have a good memory, and you've got to be creative. I can't express enough how much freedom there is in being totally honest and walking in that integrity and the truth. There is great freedom in living in truth. David, a man after God's own heart, always a reminder that you can be a godly follower of Christ, and you are far from perfect. There's the story of David when he lived in Ziklag for 16 months. He's running from Saul. He thinks Saul's going to kill him. He forgets God's promises that he's going to be the king. And he goes to live with the enemy, goes to live with the Philistines. They set him up in this little town called Ziklag. And so David, he takes his army, 600 men, and he goes out raiding people and killing them. And he's raiding and killing the enemies of Israel. But he tells the Philistine, King Achish, that he's raiding and killing the enemies of the Philistines. And there's this passage in 1 Samuel 27, verse 9. Whenever David attacked an area, he did not leave a man or woman alive, but took sheep and cattle, donkeys and camels and clothes. Then he returned to Achish and told him, here's what I've done. This is a haunting verse. He did not leave a man or or woman alive to be brought to Gath, for he thought they may inform on us and say this is what David really did. And such was his practice as long as he lived in the Philistine territory. Mm. Man, a life of cover-up yeah. is exhausting. But a man of integrity lives and walks 
in confidence. He who walks in integrity walks securely. So one more. Integrity is a wholeness, it's a completeness. A man of integrity leaves a legacy for his children. Proverbs 20, verse 7 says, A righteous man who walks in integrity, how blessed are his sons and daughters after him. Herm Edwards, who uh, coached in the National Football League for many years, the head coach of the Jets and the Kansas City Chiefs, I interviewed him one time, and he was talking about honor. And he said that when he was a kid, his father told him, I don't have a lot to give you, but I'm giving you a good name. Don't screw up the name. And I thought that was so profound that I borrowed it or stole it. I started telling my kids, look, I'm giving you a good name. <laughs> but I think that when you throw a name out there, usually there is a reputation that comes with that name, good and bad. There is a legacy. This whole past year in our men's ministry, we've been talking about what kind of legacy am I leaving? Am I leaving a godly legacy to my children, with my wife, to my friends, to those that I disciple, wherever I'm at? And so you're right on. It is the legacy that we leave and our name, the reputation follows us. Just like the sin follows, so the reputation follows us or precedes us. How many times have you asked me, hey, have you thought about bringing this guy in? How does he stand? And sometimes it's very clear cut. Oh, man, this guy loves the Lord and he walks in his integrity. And sometimes it's not that I would say he does it, but I don't know. And we want to be careful about that. And so we know that people look because they want to know, is Jesus real? This guy calls himself a Christian. He says he loves Christ. Is it real? Yeah. One of the jobs we have as pastors that we really don't relish is uh, doing funerals. Right. And uh, there are some people, I do their funeral, and there wasn't a lot of spiritual maturity at all. Right. And you talk to their kids, or sometimes their kids will get up and say something, and it was like, oh, man, took us on a bunch of trips, and, man, was he a great golfer, and we loved playing cards with my dad. And I thought, how sad it is to come down to the end of your life, and your kid's best memory is we had fun playing cards. I just did a funeral for a guy, actually, who was very influential in starting the journey right. back when, Ray Neeson. Ray Neeson, that's right. And talk to his kids and hear them tell the funny stories about him and say he was a man of integrity. And now that gets passed on. His kids were up there. His grandkids were up there sharing. And that gets passed on to others. So like when Sharon passed away at her funeral, right. you spoke, your kids spoke. Right. They not only watched Sharon live, they watched her die. And she was a woman of integrity. Right. And that's passed on yeah. to her children. And the really cool part that each one of my children had a different verse that they remembered their mother by, that she lived until her last breath on this earth. So it does have a profound effect who we are in Christ. So often we live for the day and for the next project and for the next situation we're going into. But if we could live with eternity in mind and know that our time here is short, we're going to leave something. It may not be a lot of money, but it's going to be a name, a reputation, and a righteous man who walks in his integrity. What a great inheritance he leaves that for his sons and daughters. Teach me the number of my days so yeah. that I have the end in mind. Right. I want to thank you for joining us today on the journey. Join us next time as we talk about a man and his temptation, and we're going to talk about the temptation of lust.